Hey everyone, uh, I'm Matt, I'm the pastor here at Liberty Church. If you don't know me, a uh, very warm welcome to you uh, watching this at home or wherever you're tuning in from today. Particularly if this is your first time, uh, we know that uh, normally it would be walking into this building would be a pretty unusual experience. But maybe if you just sat down and you followed a link that you've seen someone share on Instagram or something and you've ended up here, um, you might be thinking, what on earth is going on? Well, I'd uh, ask you just to stay with us, uh, enjoy the service today. If you've got any questions at all, feel free to send them in to us. We'd love to be able to connect with you if we can. Uh, what we normally do when we gather together every week is we uh, look at some passages from the Bible together. So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, we're in the book of 1 Thessalonians, which is a letter written to a young church about 2,000 years ago that had been started by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote them a letter. Uh, as a church in the city of Thessalonica in what is now Greece. Um, so if you want to find that, if you have a Bible, it's towards the back of your Bible, or you can just Google it, and I'm sure you'll find it online. Uh, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, Loretta is going to read the scripture reading to us in a moment or two. Before we do that, I just wanted to recommend this book, which has got an awful cover. I mean, it's just horrible, but it's a wonderful book. It's by D.A. Carson, and it's called A Call to Spiritual Reformation. Um, what he does in this book is he works through all the different prayers that the Apostle Paul writes down in his letters. That's what we're going to look at this morning, a prayer of Paul, where he just... You have to understand that this was his only means of communication. He couldn't Zoom or Skype into them. The only way he could communicate with this church was to write to them. And he wanted to pray for them, so he wrote down his prayer. And he does that in lots of his other letters. And this really helpful book will just go through those different prayers, but it will feed you and warm your soul. And today we're going to study one of these prayers from Paul, and I pray, hope that it will bless you and serve you as we do it today. And our intention today is for us to learn a few things about prayer. We're going into a bit of a masterclass from the Apostle Paul about what prayer is. So what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to pray quickly for us. Loretta is going to read the scripture reading and then we'll get into the passage together. Let me pray. Jesus, as your disciple said to you in Luke chapter 11, when they saw you praying, they said to you, Lord, teach us how to pray. God, and that's our prayer today, that God, you would teach us how to pray, how to have intimate communion with our Father in heaven. There's no better place for us to be, and we want to learn more and more how to do that. So I pray as we look at these words today, that your love would flood into our hearts, and you draw us into ever closer relationship with you, that you teach us how to pray, ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, over to Loretta. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verses 9 to 13. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God 
and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Thank you to Loretta for reading that. For us to pray is, first of all, it's an utterly important thing. It's us having, as I prayed myself a moment or two ago, it's us having this intimate relationship, being able to talk with our Father in heaven. But also prayer is something that we learn how to do. Sometimes you might feel a bit guilty if you're a Christian and you're watching this because you feel like you should be some kind of master, some professional at prayer, but you find it hard work, you find it confusing. Sometimes you find it perhaps a bit dull even. Well, what I want us to do today is together as a community, spread across the city as we're watching this, I want us to learn how to pray because prayer's utterly important. And I think even more so in this season that we're walking through, I think what God is doing in many of our lives is putting us through some pressure, some hardship, which might be difficult, frustrating, confusing. But in seasons like that, God uses those things to draw us closer to him. And the main way that happens is for us to pray, to come to God and to have conversation with him, to speak to him and let him speak to us. So what we're going to do today, really simply, we're going to go through these verses where Paul prays to the church, or prays to God, but praying for the church in Thessalonica. As we go through it, we're going to pick out 10 points about prayer. So number one uh, is to give thanks. This is how that section started. Paul says, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? And all through 1 Thessalonians and through Paul's other letters, he's constantly giving thanks. He's constantly being grateful and thankful. And partly he does that because he's encouraging them. He's encouraging this church. He's saying, you guys are doing great. You're doing so well. I'm I'm thanking God for you, which is a great way for us to encourage people in our church community. It's a really easy way to encourage someone to come alongside them and say, I'm really grateful to God for you. You are a blessing in my life and I'm so grateful that God has brought you into my life. But also Paul, what he's doing is he's utilising an important tool in prayer. Gratitude, giving thanks. You'll find that when you come to God and you give thanks for him, it will do something in your heart. It will lead you to be actually more thankful more grateful. As you give thanks for things, you'll begin to see God's hand at work in your life. One thing we do in our family is every mealtime, we go around and we share our highs and lows for the, for the day. We'll go around the table. Uh, and if we have guests with us, we'll invite them to do the same. We'll go around and we'll share one high and one low from the day. Uh, and sometimes, sometimes if we've had a great day, it can be difficult to think of any lows. So we'll say, what was, what was the least high thing? just to draw out from each member of our family what has been going on in their life. But sometimes it can be tricky to pick out the high things. It's difficult sometimes to think of what has been good about the day. I'm sure you've had days like that. But we find as we do it, as we go around the table, it, uh, we get to practice being thankful for things, practice seeing God at work in our life. And as you do it, it will spring up more gratitude in your heart. But you still might say that sometimes you come to God and your heart just feels heavy. 
and weary and burdened, and you don't really feel thankful for anything, what do you do then? I guess the harsh answer would be to say, well, it's true, but it might be a bit harsh, would be to say, well, you've got Jesus, so you've always got something to be thankful for, which is, of course, true. But perhaps instead, maybe start by saying, God, I thank you that I'm, I'm here, as in that God's led you to, to pray. Even the slightest impulse to come to him in prayer, to come to Jesus, even just the tiny flicker in your heart, even in the darkest of days, that tiny beam of light that draws you into prayer, that's God at work. That's his power at work, drawing you to him. And you can be thankful for that. So number one, give thanks. Number two, pray most earnestly or exceedingly. That's how Paul says he prays for them. He prays for them most earnestly. See, for, for the apostle Paul, prayer wasn't just a bolt-on to his life. It wasn't just a kind of religious practice that he had to observe. This was his essential means of having a relationship with God and something he saw, he saw as powerful. Paul understood prayer, Jesus understood prayer to be powerful, a potent way of not only having a relationship with God, but of seeing God break through and work in areas of his life. So he prayed again and again. He would come to God earnestly in prayer. And often uh, our prayer lives, I know my prayer life can be, sometimes I can get a bit frustrated because I think, well, I've prayed for that. Why hasn't it happened? You know, I prayed, prayed for a bit. Whereas I think what Paul and what we see in the New Testament, the example given to us is a, a, a persevering prayer. It says in Colossians that we should continue steadfastly in prayer, just an ongoing life of prayer and devotion, coming to God again and again. Jesus said in Luke 18 that we are, we are always to pray and not lose heart. See, Jesus understood that sometimes we're tempted to lose heart, to get discouraged, to feel like I've prayed for this again and again. God, when are you going to move? Maybe you feel like that. Maybe there's things in your life that you have been praying for for, for months, weeks, years. When is God going to move? Why, 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 why do I need to pray so many times for God to move? And there are times when we pray little bullet prayers, little lines of bless, and suddenly God moves. I've had that experience in my life where I think I barely prayed for that at all, and yet God moved powerfully. And by his grace, he will do that. But God asks us to persevere, to earnestly pray in prayer, because as we do that, God will work in us as he works in the world to answer our prayer. He'll be working more importantly in us to shape us. So be earnest in prayer. Number three, pray regularly. Pretty simple, pray regularly. Paul says he prayed for the most earnestly night and day. What Paul means is he's not just saying that he was always praying for them, but he probably had regular prayer time at the start of the day and at the end of the day. Paul's making this practical for us. He's giving us a practical way to pray. Set aside regular time to pray. Now, that morning and evening thing, that doesn't have to be the model for you, but I would encourage you to find, 
Find regular patterns of prayer that, that work for you. Be creative in it. It might be for you that you want to go out for a walk in the countryside or that you want to lock yourself off in a quiet place and you just want to sing your heart out. It might be you want to write down, you want to journal out your prayers. You might want to draw or paint them out. Go for it. Be creative. But find a regular diet, a regular pattern of prayer. The same way that in a, in a relationship, you, you regularly talk to them, to whoever it is, your, your partner, your wife, your friend, your work colleagues, you, you talk to, to build your relationship. Do the same with Jesus. Learn how to regularly pray and talk with him, to be with God on a regular basis. And you'll find that sometimes it might feel like a bit of a discipline, but you'll also find it will be a joyful, life-giving discipline as you, as you do it. See, because there's always reasons not to pray. There are, I'm sure you know it. I know lots of excuses, lots of reasons not to pray, and all of them are nonsense. They are, they're all nonsense. And I say that because, because of what prayer is. If we really understand how important and how powerful prayer is, then all the reasons not to pray, they don't make any sense. They're not necessarily bad, evil reasons. Sometimes we just got busy, there's just stuff going on. But actually, compared to what it is to come to our Father in heaven, to come and spend time with him, none of them really add up. None of them are really important when it comes to how important prayer is. I'm not saying just cancel everything in your diary and pray constantly, but if you've got a busy day, then get up earlier. Carve out more time in your day to pray because you're going to need it. Number four, fuel your prayer life with love. Fuel your prayer life with love. Paul says that he prays for them most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face. See, last week, Neville was speaking to you about how love sometimes requires challenge, that Paul wanted to go to see them face to face because he needed to correct them on a few things, to bring them back into line on a few things. And because Paul loved this church deeply and passionately, he wasn't content to leave them in weakness. He wanted to see the fullness of God's blessing in, so he was prepared to challenge them. That's what Neville was talking about last week. But in the same way that love requires challenge, love also means we pray. Because Paul loved for them, he prayed for them. He loved them, so he prayed for them. That's what we do. If you love someone, the best thing you can do is to pray for them. In this book I recommended to you earlier, the writer says, if we are to improve our praying, we must strengthen our love. If you want to get better at praying, love people more. And actually the reverse is true. If you want to improve your love for people, pray for them. I've often found that's really served me and helped me when I've had difficult moments in relationships, when I've been tempted to think bitter thoughts, angry thoughts about other people, I always try and come to God and pray for them. 
Because Jesus is really clear on that. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because it does something in our hearts. We'll find as we pray for even people who've let us down, who've hurt us as we pray for them, love will spring up within your heart. Compassion for them will spring up in your heart. Pray. Let your life, prayer life be fueled by love. Because actually that, it really is the best way you can love people. Particularly in this season where it's a bit more difficult to see people. You're not getting to spend as much time with your friends as you would normally do. But you can still do the best thing for them. You can pray for them. I was messaging via WhatsApp with a friend of mine in the church this week who due to this corona season we're in, he's facing a a time of quite extraordinary difficulty. He's not quite sure of the way through. And I sent him a message and said, look, whatever I can do, practically, just let me know. I'd love to help. And then I sent another message saying, actually, of course that's true, but the best thing I can do for you is pray for you. I'd love to serve him practically, but the best thing I can do is pray for him. The best thing you can do for your brothers and sisters in this church family who are facing trial and difficulty, pray for them. Pray for God's blessing, his best for them. Number five, weaponize your disappointment or your discouragement. Paul prays, now may our God direct our way to you. See, imagine for a moment Paul's disappointment. If you remember back in this story, you can read about in Acts 17, Paul's arrived in this city of Thessalonica. He's planted this church. A riot kicks off. He's thrown out of the city. He's only been there perhaps three or four weeks and he's kicked out of the city. And Paul, as we find, as we read through this letter, he dearly loves this little church family. He loves them so passionately and yet he can't be there. Imagine how disappointed he must feel. Some of you might be sharing some of that disappointment right now that you can't travel back and see your family. They're in a distant country and you don't know when you're going to get to see them again. That could feel so painful. That's how Paul would have felt, I think, in the same way. But yet he doesn't grumble. He prays. Now, I'm not saying we just bury all our frustrations and disappointments, but bring them, bring them to God and ask that he uses them for good. That's what Paul does. He's prepared to fight in prayer through his disappointment, through his discouragement. The writer Ian Bounds said, prayer is the condition by which all foes or enemies to be overcome and all the inheritance is to be possessed. Let me read that again. Prayer is the condition by which all foes are to be overcome and all the inheritance is to be possessed. Paul knew that. Paul wanted to get back. He was disappointed he couldn't be there. He prayed. He prayed. He fought in prayer. Sometimes you need to fight in prayer for things. Not just to persevere but to to armour up and fight for for, for what you know God has promised you, but for some reason you can't lay your hand on it right now, come to God. Come to God and pray. Number six, determine your priorities in prayer. Determine your priorities in prayer. See, that's the, 
the pattern of Paul's life and ministry is as he goes from place to place, planting all these churches, serving all these believers. He's led by prayer as he goes each step of the way. He pursues God for the opportunities that God's laying out for him. See, in your life, you'll be tempted to follow many things, as in to literally geographically follow them from place to place. It might be a relationship. You move to a different city, a different country to follow a, a love. It might be for work, for study. None of those are bad reasons. And God can use all those things to draw you to different places. It might be, in fact, I know it to be true that God has, in lots of different ways, has called you here to this city to serve and love this city. He's called you to be part of this church to be a blessing to the city. But all the time, let your priorities, let them come out of your prayer life. Come to God and say, God, where do you want me to be? I used to sing a song, I still sing it from time to time. It's an old hymn that we used to sing in my church when I was a kid. God, what is on your heart? Tell me what to do. That was the chorus of the song. Let me know your will and I will follow you. I've sung that song many times as a prayer from my heart. Where do you want me to be, God? What do you want me to do with, with my life? The song was called, I Will Serve the Purpose of God. One of the lines in it said, I want to live my life for something that will last forever. And I do, that's, that's my prayer. That's the prayer for my life. I want to live my life for the kingdom of God that will last forever. And God's called you here to the city to do the exact same thing. So come to him and pray. I'm saying this so purposefully because I know in the coming weeks and months, some of you are going to face moments where you think, everything around me seems to be falling apart. What, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? And you'll be tempted just to chase the next opportunity, chase the next job. Maybe you've been made redundant and you might feel, oh, what do I do? As I said, those aren't bad things to do. But soak those moments in prayer. Say to God, even through this season of difficulty and frustration, where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to be? I remember when I was 16, I said to God, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll follow you anywhere. Make that the prayer, the cry from your heart. Number seven is following directly on from that is to wait. Often in prayer, we, we just have to wait for God. The Bible is full of little promises for us to wait, to wait in prayer. Because often the prayers that you will have prayed, I'm sure many of you have prayed prayers of God, I want to just follow you. I want to live my life for your glory. Where do you want me to be? And then what you hear is a long, prolonged silence. As I said, when I was 16, I said to God, I'll follow you anywhere. And in my heart, I was dreaming of moving away from the UK to other places to do what we're doing here in Amsterdam, to plant churches. That didn't happen until I was 33. That's like a whole lifetime on top. And often you'll have to do that. You'll have to pray big, life-changing prayers and then patiently wait. That's what Paul had to do. We read that in Acts chapter 20, 
God answered his prayer, that he was directed back to them. He got to go back to the city of Thessalonica. And in the book of Acts, it's only just a few chapters later, but it was probably about five years. This church that he planted, that he dearly loved, it was five years before he could go back to them. Sometimes we have to wait for the promises of God to work out in our life. But all the same, keep praying big, life-changing prayers and patiently wait for God to move. Number eight, prayer seeks abundant increase. Paul prays for them, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. When you pray, seek abundant increase. That's what God wants to do in your life. But his abundant increase, well, it may be different from what you would like to see. Maybe different from the increase that you're praying for. Maybe you're going through a challenging season with your finances and your prayers are for money. You're praying for financial increase. And yet through this season, what God might be increasing in your heart is faith. He might be drawing you deeper into him. There's an increase that might be taking place that is different from perhaps the one you might like. And it's true for us as a church in this season. At the moment, I'm standing here in the Vonalkirk. I'm preaching to there's maybe eight people in the room. And hopefully lots of you watching on camera live or later in the day, later in the week. And I would love to have this building packed out with people. But obviously, for lots of reasons, we can't do that at the moment. We're hoping to begin to relaunch in the coming weeks do a little bit of a test run next Sunday and then see where God leads us and what we're allowed to do after that. But for me, it's frustrating. I want us to be together again. But I think the increase that God has been doing in us over these last months, he's not just put the church, not just here in Amsterdam, but all around the world, he's not just put the church on pause and said, I'm, I'm too busy right now. I'll deal with you guys later. I've got to fix this problem. God's been working in his people I think he's been answering Paul's prayer in our community to help us to increase and abound in love for one another. Let that be the prayer for you, for your community group, for your friends in this church, that God would increase your love for one another. And let's not run away from that. Whatever the future holds for us as a church, let's not run into the next season and forget that. Let's keep leaning in, let's keep praying that prayer, God, would you help us to love one another deeply, powerfully? Number nine, prayer is heart surgery. He prays to them that God may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. See, God wants your heart. All that we're talking about prayer, this isn't some just showy, surface spirituality that we're talking about. God wants to change you from the inside out. And that's what he'll do is you pray. He'll send his gospel love into your heart and begin to change you. That's what happens when you, when you pray. And that change means that you'll begin to live differently. You'll begin to pursue a life of holiness. Colossians 3 says, above all these, put on love, 
which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What happens is this, uh, when God works in your heart, springs up love within you, it changes what you desire, what you want, how you would like to live. And from that place comes holiness, becomes a holy living. See, true holiness comes from the heart, comes from God's love poured out to you that changes you and then sends you back out into the world to glorify him. See, when Jesus said, be holy for I am holy, those aren't just, he's not, that's not a command for us to be more pious, to look more spiritual. That's a command for us to love. And as we love, that will change us. See, the writer Andrew Murray, he said, in every prayer, there are two hearts in exercise. The one is your heart with its little, dark, human thoughts of what you need and God can do. The other is God's great heart with its infinite, its divine purposes of blessing. Often you'll come to God in prayer with your small human requests and as you pray, God will flood you with faith, with hope, with love and you'll begin to pray for what's actually on his heart, what he wants to see happen. And that will change you and you'll begin to live differently. The uh, theologian from hundreds of years ago, Augustine, he said this, or at least it was paraphrased as this, love God, do what you want. That might sound a bit dangerous. Hold on a second, I can just do what I want. Love God, do what you want. In that order. Because <laughs> when you love God, he will begin to change what you want to happen, what you want your life to look like. You'll begin to desire holiness, pursue holiness. You'll desire this blamelessness in holiness because you just know it's the best way to live and he's changed your heart. Prayer is heart surgery. When you pray, God will re-engineer you little by little, He'll increase and abound you. That, that love, is an, it takes place slowly sometimes. But God wants to change you from the inside. Number 10, and finally, prayer. Prayer leads you to the source. Prayer will lead you to the source. See, note the wonderful trust in Paul's prayer. Three times he prays, God, may you, may you direct our ways back. May you increase and abound their love. May you establish their hearts, make them blameless in holiness. See, that's the source of all our prayers. We don't pray to sort of g up some motivation within ourselves. We pray because we trust God and he's our only hope. As we come to him in prayer, he will work mightily and he will draw our hearts back to him. You see, God is a loving, loving father. And he's not waiting for you, tapping his watch, saying, where have you been? Or when you stop praying, he's not saying, well, is that, is that all you've got today? His arms are wide open and waiting for you to come and be with him. And he will cherish every moment he gets to have with you.
And as you spend time with him, he'll flood you with his love, his blessings will remind you of what Jesus has done for you. His wonderful sacrifice that enables us to come. And before God, each of us comes already blameless in holiness. Paul's praying that we're able to live that out, but essentially we've already been made holy because of what Jesus has done for us. As you come to him in prayer, he'll remind you of that wonderful, wonderful truth. Okay, I'm gonna pray for us now and then the band are gonna come and lead us in some more songs of worship. Let me pray. Jesus, as we prayed at the start, I just wanna pray that prayer again that Holy Spirit, you would come right now and you would teach us how to pray. I know we have a, an enemy that would love to give us a thousand reasons not to pray, but we know really there's just no better place to be. I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, you would draw our hearts back to you and that you would help us to seek you in prayer and even as we learn how to do it, as we stumble through it, as we make mistakes and as we forget and as all the different pressures and challenges come on our life, I pray that you would put in our hearts, not just individually, but as a church together, a desire for prayer because we want more of you and we want more of you in our city. I pray we would pursue in prayer your blessing on this city again and again and again. And I pray that we would see amazing, incredible things happen through your church to see this city transformed by your grace. But I pray help us to win and fight all those battles in prayer and the battle for our own hearts. Let us win them in prayer, we pray. Jesus, come and flood us with your grace and mercy now, I pray. Amen. <laughs>